Welcome back in to the Die Hards episode three and roll tide. Roll tide. Joined here with uh, Jimmy, Kusa, and Harris. We got a great show for y'all today. Um, just wrapped it up. We uh, recap the uh, picks from last week that unfortunately we couldn't record, but uh, relive some of those good moments. Then uh, go through our winners and losers, break down the Todd and the huge win in College Station from this last week. Um, then look ahead to the Arkansas game. Everybody make their score predictions. And then, uh, of course, give our predictions against the spread for the slate next week that uh, looks to be a good one. So <clears throat> I'll kick it back to our past selves for the good show, and I uh, hope you all enjoy. All right, well, let's get into these games. Uh, Friday night, we had Nebraska at Illinois. Um, unfortunately, like we talked about last podcast, we had to cut out the picks. Missed a great moment from Harris where uh, he explained why he was so high in Nebraska. So we all tailed him. Everybody covered. I'll let Harris take it away. Yeah, I'm, I really apologize for that, for all the technical difficulties, because I loved my take on Nebraska. It turned out hitting for everybody. But basically, I took this game back on July 28th with Nebraska at plus four and a half. The line closed to three, so I closed the better line there back in July. And they cruised 20-7 to a victory. Never looked like they weren't going to cover. Never looked like they weren't going to win the game. Free money for everybody. Free win for the boys. So, yeah. Yeah, like Harris touched on, it was kind of an expected win, but a big win for Matt Rule. Um, his first Big Ten win in Nebraska. Um, you know, I feel like it's been a while since they've gotten a win in Big Ten play, especially on the road. But, yeah, a good win for Matt Rule. That's really all i got to say about it. You know what? I, I'm going to counter you on that one, Jim Logue. Was this really a big win for Matt Rule? Like, the dude just beat Illinois 20-7 in week six. I think a better spread for us to, or a better uh, betting line for us to bring on the podcast for Nebraska. Does Nebraska get 10 wins at any point over the next five seasons? Or should we do 10 seasons? I really do not have very much confidence in betting over on either one. I mean, Nebraska is just irrelevant. So is Illinois, but like... Good lord, I'm not sure if Matt Rule can do it here. Who who wants to get a bunch of cornfields in Nebraska these days? Yeah, the portals and everything like that. Like we think it might be treating Alabama poorly. A team like Nebraska is catching the raw end of everything. I mean, like tradition and things like that already are mattering less and less. Now trying to attract somebody to a school in Nebraska when you can go to USC or all these places with the flashy coaches. I don't know if Matt Rule is really going to get the job done. I don't know if they're getting another Matty since the 90s, but not a lifetime. I don't think they have a 10-win mark in 10 seasons at all. Not at this rate, at least. No. I think we move on to a uh, to a couple of teams that are actually looking like they're <laughs> going to be relevant over the next few years. Yeah, so... Yeah, we got to start it off with the, the noon game um, on ABC. Not big noon kickoff, but uh, Oklahoma versus Texas at the uh, Texas State Fair. Um, you know, this game was everything that we wanted it to be. Awesome game. Had everything, special teams plays, turnovers, only four punts the whole game. Um, really, you know, from the jump was an awesome watch. What were y'all thoughts? 
Um, yeah, I was just going to say that the game always lives up to the hype for me um, every time I watch it. I know last year was a blowout, but, like, I mean, in years past, this game just always has insane moments, and this year nonetheless. Um, I wasn't really high on Oklahoma coming into the week, you know. They haven't really played anyone until this game, but, man, they impressed me. Um, I mean, their defense is legit. Um, Dylan Gabriel looked very, very good. And, um, yeah, I think Brett Venables is, you know, He's slowly becoming one of the top coaches in the country. He's got a huge win against Texas. I do have a uh, question for you all, though. I was talking to Bragg about this. Do you all like when the ABC telecast of Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit does the call in the Red River rivalry or, like, Big Dune with Gus and Joel? What are y'all thoughts? I, I personally love Chris and Kirk more. I'm not a Gus Johnson fan at all in the slightest. I know that discuss. We don't need to slander one. <laughs> we don't need to slander one to raise the other one. <laughs> I, mean, I think he is, he's just not for me. So I'm I'm definitely a fan of Chris and Kirk. I agree with Harris, but I do I do like uh, I like Joel and uh, Gus, but I, I think that Chris and Kirk just kind of have that like big game appeal, like national title, like mm-hmm. huge like. National game of the week kind of appeal, but I like yeah. Both. And like I played ABC like this past weekend. Yeah, James. and I feel like uh, noticing too. I feel like when you watch an ABC game, you can really tell like they pump up the crowd noise so much on ABC games, and with like the band and everything, it just feels so much more intense. Mm-hmm. But uh, back to the game. Um, I mean, look, it looks like we're going to see these two teams play again um, later this year in the Big Twelve Championship. Um, I mean, do you think Oklahoma has a chance to beat them on, beat them later on? Uh, we'll see. But um, what are y'all's other thoughts about the game? Honestly, I wasn't super surprised, man. Like I just like seeing, even though Oklahoma was kind of playing cupcakes first few games of the season. I think just kind of looking at the box scores and how they rank defensively, it, I, I'm not surprised that this happened, given kind of what we've seen. The team, the defenses that Venables put out at Club Center the past few years, and just kind of like the sentiments we heard about him as a coach, um, I I really thought there was a good chance that he'd be super legit, and I really think that going forward, Oklahoma is in a really good spot over the next few years, just like being built foundationally on defense, kind of in a Bama Georgia kind of way, um, and how Clemson used to be. And so I was really impressed with him this past weekend. I thought Dylan Gabriel was great. Um, one note I have is, like, really, really good teams, really good offenses. I feel like almost always have a quarterback that can use his legs in crunch time. You think, like, Trevor Lawrence um, back in those, like, late 2010s Clemson teams, like Joe Burrow, even, like, a Tua um, there's always like you know the, the the one of the defining characteristics of a really solid team, really solid offensive team, is having that quarterback that doesn't always use his legs, which so gonna take those legs out on like third and ten to get those you know, really important yards. Um, so I really liked him like getting a hundred on the ground. That was impressive. I think Oklahoma's gonna be a really dangerous team this year. Not that Texas um, isn't really solid too, but Oklahoma's legit offensively and defensively. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I think, like you said, they're kind of transitioned to this more defensive team, something like we haven't seen from them over the past years with Bob Stoops down the stretch and Lincoln Riley. 
And I think ultimately defense kind of won them this game, being able to force three turnovers on Quinn Ewers and their goal line stand down there. I think that's something that they wouldn't have been able to do a few years ago when this game could have resulted in a loss, mm. but they were able to get the job done today. I think they've made a lot of improvements since last season. And that last drive, the ability to go five plays, 75 yards in a minute and two seconds, kind of shows some of the characteristics you're talking about and clutch play from their offense. One thing I wanted to talk to you all about was uh, that goal line stand. You know, not something you'd think you'd see from an Oklahoma team. Because I thought, you know, some people were saying play calling, things like that. I didn't hate a lot of the play calls that uh, that Sark drew up down there. I mean, obviously, sometimes you just want to sneak it four times. But, like, did you all think that was more play calling or more impressive by Oklahoma? Anytime I feel like you get a goal line stand on Sark in four plays, it's impressive by the defense. He's not a easy guy to defend as we saw down here in Tuscaloosa. It looked like they scored it. Will when they got down to the goal line against us. I would say it was more impressive, but I think you could maybe question a play or two. I don't think that was a problem, though. Personally, I think there's kind of been an epidemic in college football and the NFL uh, over the first few weeks of the season, just watching teams, like, get down to the two or three and, like, goal line fade, quick screen, bubble screen, um, like QB draw out of the shotgun. Like, I'm pretty tired of seeing that. I like under center, eye formation, power eye, give it to the running back, give it to the fullback, QB sneak. Like, I, I'm sick of seeing the, the like, the, the quick game stuff. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not necessarily saying that's what Sark was doing, but – they did go for the double yeah. screen on fourth down. I uh, think they had a mm-hmm. fader like roll out in there somewhere. Like, I'd rather just give it four times by running back under center and see what happens. Like, yeah, that, I mean that's kind of the reason I brought it up though, because the people around me were saying play calling. But other than the fourth down, which I agree, you definitely could have some problems with. The other three were were not a single person out wide. You know, under center, give it to the running back. Granted, they, they threw a toss in there, which I don't know if that's the uh, yeah. best thing. But, I mean, LSU used, to, LSU used to do that on goal line situations, and it worked out fine for them a lot of the time. So, I didn't hate it as much, but, yeah, I just wanted to see what y'all it's thought. Yeah, I like the toss. It's a different era from those LSU goal line stands. They don't build them in the trenches like they used to right now. Thanks. <laughs> um, anything else for this game that y'all want to talk about? No, not really. Um, I mean, I guess, um, I mean, do you all think they'll play each other in the Big 12 championship? I mean, we're going to see this matchup again. I think that's pretty much a no-doubter for me. Yeah, I don't even see it. I mean, is there any other team that could even possibly compete with them? Like, asking you guys, I can't even think of. I mean, Kansas is right. Yeah, I'm not up to date on yeah. my Big 12 Big knowledge 12. right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I agree with that. Contender in Texas already blew them out. What would suck is if Texas beats Oklahoma, and then you have one loss, one loss Texas that's conference champion, then one loss Oklahoma that lost to Texas, and then like, what happens if you have like an undefeated Ohio State, and then an undefeated uh, like Florida State, and you've got. Pama SEC champion. <laughs> what works out? What happens there? I guess yeah. Oklahoma wouldn't go. 
I, 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 saw, I saw some crazy scenarios like like that last night on social media, just kind of with all these teams and what if they go undefeated or have one loss, but it's only the conference championship. And it kind of like made me go crazy in my head trying to think about it. But I think at the end of the day, college football season will play its way out. They'll be putting more offsets, and I don't think we're going to get a scenario like that. Yeah, so I mean, just to wrap up this game, I think everybody hopes that we can see some more of it um, later in the season. I mean, while you're watching it, it was one of those where you didn't want it to end. Um, moving on to a little Big Ten action, we had Maryland at Ohio State. This one ended 37-17 for the Buckeyes, but was really not um, near what the score said. I mean, um, I think it was 17-17 going into the fourth quarter. Ohio State scored 20 unanswered to end it. But, uh, you know, really a pretty good test for Ohio State. I mean, one that a lot of people were all over Maryland plus 20. Um, but, yeah, what would you all think if you all got to watch any of this game? Yeah, I watched a little bit of it. Um, I mean, uh, I think we all kind of saw how Maryland was going to play really well in the first half. Um, Mike Loxley and Talia, you know, they've been there for a while. Their offense has uh, been uh, getting better each week. But I just think Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State are the only three legit contenders in the Big Ten. I think Maryland's fourth best team, but I just don't think they got the talent to keep up with the big boys. Um, that's all I really took away from it. I just can't believe that Maryland did not cover the plus 20 that had been a bush. <laughs> How did you get beat by 20 points in the fourth quarter right there? <laughs> Including two touchdowns, two field goals, that's four scoring possessions in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's just... That made you 10 and 0? <laughs> I know, 9 and 1. We'll get to my one loser in a little bit on these uh, quick scores. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was one uh, I'd completely given up on as the only person rocking the Buckeyes um, in that one. And then we are watching one of the other games. We were watching uh, Oklahoma, Texas, and I heard them saying that the, the Buckeyes were running away with it late, and I got real excited. That was a push that, uh, that helped me out. Moving on from a backdoor push to a game that a lot of us ended up uh, – thinking about, you know, solely just for the backdoor cover um, with LSU stealing one to end up winning by 10 in a game that they were losing the whole time. Um, LSU's defense once again got shredded, giving up 527 yards, but LSU ended up outgaining them with 533, 274 on the ground, 259 through the air, and got the job done. What did you all think about this game, and what did you all think about that cover? Yeah, look, look away, Missouri betters. I think I was the only one out of the floor that took LSU. Um, but a pick six with under a minute left to cover the five-and-a-half spread. I did not deserve that at all. LSU, once again, shows that they are not a defensive team whatsoever. And Jane Daniels continues to carry. He had a great game himself once again. Um, that's really it on that one. Yeah, man, you got to feel for Missouri, and especially for Missouri betters. Um, I was really pulling the Tigers in this one. Really liked them as a team. Really liked Eli Drinkwitz. But uh, LSU's getting underrated right now. I mean, their defense is god-awful, but they're still a really dangerous team. If a Crimson mm. Tide team comes out and Jalen Milrow forgets how to throw the ball like he uh, had forgotten the first five games of the season – we get out to a two or three touchdown deficit. I mean, LSU can still be trouble. People keep acting like 
they're just a dog shit team, and I I disagree. That offense, they've got some horses. I'm with you. Yeah. What gives me confidence though about the Tide is, um, you know, I know Brian Kelly beat us last year, but very rarely does he win in big games, and um, also too as well. Um, we got them at home this year rather than playing in Death Valley. But, yeah, um, I was like you, Kusa. I was rooting for Missouri, too, and that was a brutal backdoor cover. But, um, yeah, I really thought that Mizzou could still be one of the uh, – Dome and Georgia could be the lone undefeated SEC teams after this weekend. I thought Missouri was going to win that game outright. But um, big win for Brian Kelly. Um, if they would have lost, then it would be Baton Rouge to be up in flames right now. Yeah, Kuso, I, I agree with kind of your sentiment. Um, that was my big takeaway is that, well, although I don't think LSU is going to go win the Natty, I think there's pretty much any team in the country that they could beat. I mean, when you're putting up yards like this and points like this with the weapons that they have, you know, probably should be a Heisman front runner if his team was doing better and Jaden Daniels. I mean, they're not a team I'm going to want to face. You know, it, originally I was kind of like, oh, they lost to some teams that we beat. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not too worried, but just when a team can put up points like that, you're never going to, you know, be completely confident going to that game, especially with a big rival like that. Yeah, I'll be interested to see them play Auburn this weekend. I know they're in Baton Rouge, but mm-hmm. I really like Auburn's defense, and I'm interested to see how they hold up against LSU's offense. And I, they don't think they play A&M until, like, late November. So we won't have uh, – much to go off in terms of like elite defenses taking on this LSU offense. Yeah, um, and moving on to the Pac-12, uh, Washington State um, lost um, at UCLA 25-17. Once again, one of the biggest gripes of this show and around the country, Pac-12 Network again. <laughs> um, very frustrating, but. 13 unanswered for the Bruins to win and cover. Much needed for me. I was the only one who was riding them. But uh, any thoughts about this game? You no, know, I'm, I'm disappointed in my Cougars. This is the only game I lost against the spread last week. <laughs> I called it a trap game for Washington State. Uh, viewers wouldn't know because it got cut out. But it was a trap game. <laughs> but I had to ride with them because I've been so high on Washington State quarterback Cameron Ward all year. But also shout out to UCLA running back and Chattanooga native Keegan Jones with two rushing touchdowns in that fourth quarter for you to get the cover there. Officially off the Washington State bandwagon now, but I still think they can make some noise and pull off another upset in the Big the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean Pac-12 is super competitive. Um, you know, all those like top 25 teams are kind of like in that 15 to 25 range. I feel like it's just so hard to predict who's going to beat who um, week in, week out. Um, but, yeah, good win for um, for the Cougars and uh, Coos. What do you got to take on it? Yeah, man, I've got no idea what's going on out there in the Pac-12. Like, at <laughs> Oregon State, Washington State, UCLA, Utah, I don't know what's going on. I'm not going to act like I don't get it. I wouldn't be surprised if all these teams end up being like 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five at the end of the season. Uh, I don't know. I don't really trust USC either. The, the two teams I really do like are Oregon and Washington. I think they're legit. Other than that, like – 
I have no idea what's going on. I, this game in particular, uh, I think I took Washington State as well. Kind of bought into the hype with the explosive offense and Cameron Ward at the helm. But obviously I had no idea what I was talking about. None of us did other than uh, <laughs> brag. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see how Pac-12 shakes out, especially in this, like, middle upper tier with uh, some of these teams with a lot of hype but a lot of question marks around. So we'll see. It's been an interesting start of the yeah, season. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> thanks for giving me credit. I think my entire description was that I see no way UCLA covers this, so I'm fading myself. Um, something I just thought about that would just be terrific, and you know they do it in basketball, and I'd love to see it in football maybe someday. But I think this year would work out great is if we had a Pac-12 SEC showdown. Uh, like this week, I think the two conferences match up extremely well. You know, you have a game like Oregon Georgia again to see how that goes. You know, maybe we play Washington, but I think those middle of the road teams, like you were just talking about, Cuso. Matching up with some of those SEC West teams that nobody knows about. I mean, we got to see Utah, Florida, but just more of that. Um, I think that would be something that would be really fun right now. What do you all think? Yeah, I mean, I think Florida and Utah was a little mismatch for us this year. So I don't think Florida's very good. But I think that would definitely be very entertaining to see. I mean, watching the conference matchups that they have in college basketball every year makes you want to see them. makes you wish they did something like that in football as well. It'll be more challenging now for next year with all this conference realignment, so that's kind of out of the realm. But I think that could have been a great opportunity this year. It's, I think you're right. I think a lot of people think the Pac-12 might have taken over as the best conference in college football this year. Obviously, I might be a little biased towards the SEC, so I don't quite think so yet. <laughs> who would win between Vanderbilt and Stanford? Who, who, y'all, who y'all think? Vanderbilt. Thank you down. Thank you down. <laughs> You can you put that game on Pac-12 Network. I will have no problems <laughs> with it. <laughs> um, so wrapping up the Pac-12, moving back onto some SEC ball. Uh, Kentucky at Georgia under the lights in Sanford. This one got away from the Wildcats quickly. 21-0 lead um, out the jump for Georgia. Didn't really look back. Georgia ended up putting up 608 total yards. The Wildcats 185. Who only managed 55 on the ground after some impressive running displays. Um, what does this make y'all think about Kentucky? But really, what does this make y'all think about Georgia uh, going forward? Because this was just a domination in the game. I think a lot of us thought it could end up being close. As I mentioned last week, this was a game between the Jimmys and the Joes, and it was. Georgia just way more talented. I think if y'all heard what Mark Stoops said today, he even made a comment about Georgia being able to be better because they have more donations to them and can pay for players. Now, I think that was a little disrespectful after getting their asses handed to them and have been for the last so many years. But I think he also has somewhat of a point, and you can see his frustration as Georgia's just easily able to get more talented than someone like Kentucky. This is probably Kentucky's best coach they've ever had, so these programs are just at different places and will be for a while. Yeah, um, I'll say I was completely wrong about Kentucky. Um, I always get so high on them every year because they always start off like, they always get ranked like so high and then like their first test, they always just blow it. And um, yeah, I mean, Georgia, I mean, they're uh, they're still the best team in the country. And I think if, if Alabama wants to win the Natty, we're going to have to beat them twice. I really do. So um, 
yeah, I mean, they stopped the run game. Kentucky couldn't do anything on the run, and once that happened, um, you know, they couldn't really throw the ball. They're not really known as a throwing team. So, big win for Georgia under the lights, though. Um, Coos, what did you think? Yeah, Jimmy, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with you here a little bit again. Uh, I think there's a lot of overreactions around this game. Like just watching the first quarter, first half of this game, like what I noticed was like first of all, nobody was guarding Brock Bowers on like several plays, like complete busted coverages, like not even like Obviously, there's a huge discrepancy, Jimmy's and Joe's wise, between UJ and freaking Kentucky. But like, there were just some blatant, like, there were some blatant horrible defense uh, that I watched in this one, and offensively too. Kentucky had some like wide open receivers that Devin Leary just like, I mean, he couldn't even hit the wide side of a barn on some of the throws he was making, and so it really like. Obviously, Georgia puts up 600 yards of offense, like, excellent performance. But, like, people need to slow down a little bit. Like, don't forget about how Georgia looked a couple weeks ago at Auburn and Jordan-Hare. I mean, they easily could have lost that one. The defense was porous, could not stop Auburn's run game. I mean, not a not a bit. Um, obviously, they shut down Kentucky this week. But, like... Just because they do it this week doesn't erase what's happened the past few games of the season. I'll be interested to see if George can carry this momentum going forward. Um, and Carson Beck is much improved this season. I think this year relative to the past few Georgia teams, they're probably better on offense um, and significantly worse on defense. And that's, I mean, not saying they've got a bad defense given where, they're past two, where they've been the past two years. I think it's a new dynamic or an, int- and an interesting dynamic to uh, kind of examine as we go forward and watch the Bulldog season. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think I find myself a little bit in the between the two of y'all. I think there were definitely some things that I took away um, from this game permanently, rather than uh, brushing off a little bit. But my big thing is that Georgia at home just looked unbeatable. I'm hoping that when they go on the road to uh, to Neelan, that that could be a tough test for them. But with the people on their schedule right now, I just don't see them having a chance to lose at home. Um, so I mean, I I don't know. I think you know either way, we're probably going to meet them in Atlanta. So I don't know if much of it matters. But uh, I mean, it was an impressive win. Um, it's really just all I had to say. Yeah, I agree. I'm not really too focused on the Bulldogs right now as I think we'll see them in Atlanta and that's when it really matters to me. Yeah, same here. Um, There's absolutely no shot. Like, you could play these last six games of the season a hundred times over and I think Georgia would get Atlanta (laughs) in every single one of them. I mean, screw them for playing in the East. That that East East division has been down for the past like two decades. I guess you have Florida at one point. Like, Everyone talks about the SEC dominance, but for the last 15 years outside of Georgia, we all know it's really just been the West carrying. Yeah. Four T-Bows there. That's yeah. yeah, it's frustrating, too, because with the, with the West, it seems like, you know, when one team comes up and the next team, you know, kind of falters a little bit, you know, with like, you know, LSU and Auburn being pretty good some years, you know, Alabama is still very good. And like nobody ever falls too much. You know, when Florida passed the torch to Georgia, there were about four or five years 
where nobody was good. So, I mean, that's the thing that kind of has been frustrating is like, you know, even when you could say that, you know, the, the West has moved around and the, the balance of power some, they've always been better. I mean, they're, the, the East has had maybe one team that's been really solid. A lot of years, I mean, I remember some years Florida was going to the SC Championship going 7-5. and five. So, I agree with Kusa. That thing, that's something that's been frustrating for a long time. Well, the uh, another big game on Saturday night was Notre Dame and Louisville. And um, I was kind of shocked that uh, Notre Dame lost that one. Um, big one for the Cards. They're going to be undefeated still. Um, they could be a sneaky team in the ACC. Um, what are y'all's thoughts about the game? You know, I mentioned this last week, how I think part of this was Notre Dame's just grueling schedule so far, third-ranked game in a row, second uh, on the road. It's just really tough. Five turnovers in their 13-point loss. It's hard for them. I feel bad for them. But big one for Louisville as they look to make a run in the ACC. They're still undefeated and jumped all the way up to 14 in the AP poll. Their name schedule doesn't really continue to get any easier as they play a 10th-ranked USC at home this weekend. You know what? I really thought this was going to be Notre Dame's year where they would, their offense would get let loose. I thought Sam Hartman was going to come in and absolutely ball out. I mean, I watched him at Wake Forest last year, like, shred Clemson. Uh, he played just, like, absolutely incredible. I, I, I was thinking that their, Notre Dame's offense this year would look similar to Wake Forest last year and some of the big games I saw them play. And it's just been same old, same old Notre Dame that we've been watching our whole life. Like, just pretty boring, can't pass the ball, can barely run the ball kind of offense, ho-hum, that they've always played. So really disappointed um, with the Fighting Irish from that aspect. Um and uh, on a more positive note for Louisville, it's really impressive. They're six and zero, really, really quiet six and zero. I really hadn't heard much of them, much about their team at all up until this week. But interested to see how um, they look going forward. Uh, I don't know. Do they have Clemson and or Florida State on their schedule? I'm not sure about the regular season, but I know they are on the other side of the conference, and they may be able to afford them both. So they got Pitt coming up. Yeah, um, they got Duke coming in um, in late October, and also too they got to play Kentucky as well. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do against the Wildcats at the end of the year. But yeah, they don't have Clemson or Florida State. Well, I mean, like, I mean, where is that game? At Louisville, but like it's a rivalry game. Anything can happen. Who knows? Yeah. That was one of the points I had about this game. I was really impressed with Louisville's atmosphere. Um, I thought it was a really fun game. You know, kind of got me excited to watch based on how they came out and stuff. And I mean, when you're turning the ball over five times in an atmosphere like that against a good team, you're just you're just not gonna win. And I think this Notre Dame team is not good enough to kind of get everybody's best shot, like some of the Bamas and Georgias um, around the country and. You know, when you have go up against a good team on the road where they're fired up for it, night game, you know, this was just kind of a recipe for disaster. Um, I did pick Notre Dame, so I'm acting like it was a, an obvious pick here, but uh, that was kind of my takeaway after the game. I think I was going with a little bit. 
All right, and then last game on the schedule for the recap is uh, Arkansas at Ole Miss. I think we you know we started this off with a sweep with Nebraska. We end it with a sweep with everybody on Arkansas plus the points. Um, you know, Arkansas actually took the lead with 13 minutes left, um, but couldn't get the job done. What'd y'all think about this game? I think it kind of went as I expected it to. Figured Ole Miss would play unfocused after a big win over LSU. Thought Arkansas would play hard, knowing that every game is essentially a must-win to go bowling. And I think they did. I thought Ole Miss was definitely the better team as they showed and were able to pull out the seven-point victory. Yeah, I think there's a reason why all four of us took Arkansas plus 11.5 in this one. Uh, To me... Both Ole Miss and Arkansas are really like in the same tier within the SEC. Uh, Ole Miss is a little better team this year, but in terms of programs, they're kind of about the same. And I feel like on the field, they're almost always going to be, you know, their games are going to result in a 10 point victory either way. Um, talent level is about the same, recruiting is about the same, coaching is about the same. Both good programs, but not great. Uh, feel for KJ Jefferson because. I really think he's a solid quarterback, but just watching their offensive line, it's so pathetic. I mean, looks like even worse than Alabama's was looking earlier in the season, so I feel for him, but credit to Lane Kiffin for keeping the ball rolling. Jackson Dart's really a solid quarterback, and Quinshawn Jenkins can run the rock, so credit to Ole Miss for getting another dub here. Yeah, I mean, with Ole Miss, you know, Artie Graben not winning against LSU and, you know, staying consistent getting another win against Arkansas makes us look pretty good, you know, after we you know, kind of turned it up in the second half in that game and stuff. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But Arkansas coming in this week for the Tide, it's going to be really interesting to see um, how we look, especially with the 11 a.m. game. Um, another thing, too, about uh, Ole Miss, um, they go to Georgia on the road later this year. I mean, you think Lane can pull any sort of trickery out of his bag or just they just don't have the dogs keep up with the Georgia Bulldogs? <laughs> No I chance think, in hell. Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's yeah, pretty I, unlikely. <laughs> like I was saying earlier, I don't think anybody on their schedule is going in. Um, I didn't know Ole Miss was on their schedule, but I, I think my point still stands. I don't think anybody's getting a win in Sanford this year. No, no chance. Well, that wraps up our uh, recap for the week. Um, James, you can lead our next segment of uh, winners and losers. Yeah, so it's not like a team or a specific player or anything, but, you know, being here in Tuscaloosa, I know Harris can attest, the weather's been very shitty the past couple of months, but this weekend was finally, like, finally felt like fall, finally felt like, you know, like intense footballs here, conference games are starting to heat up, so, you know, the fall weather, you know, here just means, you know, games starting getting better, we're getting closer to, you know, playoff football and figuring out, you know, we're the top four teams and we competing for national championships. So that was the takeaway for me. It was the high on Saturday in Tuscaloosa was 71, and it was the best day all year I felt in a long time. So I agree that was my winner of the weekend. I agree with that as I have been feeling great at practice outside. It feels like football is finally in full swing and we're gearing up for another great season. Yeah, it's, a, it's about to be hoodie and quarter zip weather. I think everybody's excited. Of course. I'm going to go with our diehard foursome for uh, nailing our picks this past week. I know Big Lil went 8-1-1. One, and one. I think everybody else was over 500. So, uh, shout out to us for 
just being absolute college football experts and gambling experts. <laughs> yeah, I actually think Jimmy might struggle, but the other three must look pretty good this week. That's what I mean. Hey, meant, man, yeah. I was in the lead after week one. Watch your mouth, boy. Uh, no longer uh, <laughs> a season, not a one-week show. We'll see how we do this week later on in the show. You are right. Big week coming up. Yeah, I'll, get, I'll go ahead and jump into my biggest winner of the week, and that was Oklahoma. Huge win for them, being Texas after getting blown out and having a rough season last year, finishing 6-7 in Brent Venable's first season. They're 6-0 now with that huge win over Texas and have a favorable schedule to close out the year. They have the bye week coming up this weekend before they start their second half of the season. Their main schedule includes home games versus UCF, West Virginia, and TCU, and road games at Kansas, at Oklahoma State, and at BYU. So I think this is a team that really can make a push towards the playoffs, but another matchup with Texas is likely. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they're going uh, straight to uh, – where do they play the Big 12 championship? Is that in Houston? Dallas at Jerry World. they're playing Jerry World now, yeah. It is Jerry yeah. World? I don't know why. I thought it was somewhere else. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think they definitely have a ticket punch there already. I mean – I'd be shocked. I think they probably could get there with two losses, but I think they'll, they'll get there pretty handily um, with what, to the, what they got the rest of the way, like you were saying. Well, yeah, I don't have a huge winner, but I want to use this time to uh, talk about Iowa offensive coordinator Brian Ferenz <laughs> and give you all an update on, on how he's going this season. Um, so they're getting very close to the seven-win threshold, picked up their fifth win this past week. Um Last two weeks, we didn't update last week. They put up 26 last week, 20 this week. Now averaging 21.8 a game, well off the pace. They need to average 28 plus the rest of the way in order to uh, to secure his job. Hopefully, his boys will will be planned for for his contract. But uh, y'all think they're gonna end up <laughs> end up securing the deal, or is he gonna be out of oh, there? Man, coaches in the son scenario you know where the coach plays the kid coach gave his son the job and he shouldn't bet with it yeah I could not imagine being an Iowa fan having to watch that offense every week I'll just make my eyeballs bleed that big fat zero <laughs> versus Penn State definitely did not help the average yeah yeah for sure uh, Kusa, why don't you lead us off with our uh, our losers of the week? Yeah, I, I was just going to talk about general coaching, mismanagement, clock mismanagement all across the country. I mean, the biggest headliner of the week is definitely Mario Cristobal down in Miami. He runs well, and he could have taken a knee. Uh, Miami running back fumbles, and then game goes into overtime, and Hurricanes lose, no longer undefeated, no longer back. Absolutely terrible mistake. How do you not realize that? I have no idea. But, like, at the same time, you see, like, similar really boneheaded mistakes that other coaches are making all across the country. Even in the Bama A&M game, uh, Coach Saban, the absolute goat. And I really don't think it's Saban's fault. I think it's probably more on Milro trying to avoid um, a review from the booth. But after uh, after Jace McClellan gets that first down, really to end the game, we go to a quick pass to a quick screen pass like across the field. Absolute one-offs in the dirt, stops the <laughs> clock, no longer can deal the ball out, gives every Tide fan in the world an absolute heart attack. 
That was absolutely horrible. <laughs> and then, like, see Jimbo Fisher making some stupid clock decisions, too. I think those are just him being an absolute idiot. But long story short, I think the coaches need, like, how they have so many freaking analysts. Make one of those, like, an absolute, like, stats nerd who could tell you exactly when to go for it, when not to go for it. Like, in certain key situations, somebody to tell you exactly what to do and how it'll affect the clock. That's my rant for the show. <clears throat> yeah, I like it, Kuso. I will say, I had completely forgot about that. You just gave me some some nightmare flashbacks again. I don't understand why our go-to, like, run the run it fast play isn't just, like, Milrow or Jace up the middle. The fact that we got to swing it out wide, like, with a minute Seriously. and a half left, I was like, I guess, I, like you said, you kind of understood the sentiment of it, but you're like, why is that the play call? Can yeah. we at least not have, like, a, a one for air and two for ground type thing? Like, the, the fact that we're putting the ball in the air there was just ridiculous. And he just one-hops it. Like, I, I, skip think the, a step. I, think, I think the play call there, obviously it was quick and they were trying to be through view. I think it was an RPO, though. And Milrow obviously saw Malik Benson had nobody on him out wide. And instead of knowing the clock and knowing the game and knowing to just hand the ball off or even just take a snap and take a knee, he progressed with the read, throwing it out wide to Benson, just right in the dirt, as y'all mentioned. I don't necessarily think it was Coach Saban's fault. I think he was just as confused as the rest of us. Fortunately, though, for us, it turned out the right way, unlike it did for Miami. Yeah, so Miami was my biggest loser of the league as well. I mean, what do we do in Miami? Hands down, the worst situational football and clock management I've ever seen. All they had to do was obviously take the knee. And I don't think Mario Crystal Ball's response made it any better. You mentioned that when they started the sequence on first down that they weren't able to take a knee yet and run out all the clock. And then said they should have called a timeout when the clock went under 40, which is just horrible because if you're going to say should have, you should have just done it then and there. He then tried to play some of the blame on the running back by saying we teach them to hold it with two hands. And that was very clearly not all the running back's fault. He's coached in hundreds of games and gets paid millions of dollars. Just to give us team that, it's absolutely horrible. I can't even blame the defense for giving up 69 yards in 24 seconds to give Georgia Tech the game-winning touchdown, even though it was horrible defense, because they shouldn't have even been on the field to begin with. I mean, y'all can chime in if y'all have any other thoughts on it, but that was just absolutely horrible. I mean, easily the worst coaching we've seen all throughout the regular season. I mean, I think anyone who has a decent football knowledge or IQ knows to take a beat in that situation. Yeah, that's my favorite year. Yeah. So, something I saw that I want y'all to y'all's thoughts on about it. Um, I heard somebody say that the running back actually had 99 yards going into that, and people think that Cristobal is trying to get him 100. Do y'all buy into that at all, or what do y'all think? That's ridiculous. I think the yeah, I don't the football games not give people stat lines. I doubt the. I don't even know if the coaches would really know he was at 99. I don't think that's what you're thinking about with 35 seconds left. Yeah, Harris. Do like, I mean, like, do the like, do the Alabama coaches? They like kind of. I mean, obviously they like keep up with the stats, but like on the field and stuff, do they like kind of like mention it at all or anything, or do you really no, know? Never. That's that's the last thing we're worried about. Yeah. Jimmy, what's your loser? Yeah. So my loser of the week actually occurred. Um, when we were recording last week. It was a midweek uh, Conference USA game. Jacksonville State, Middle Tennessee State. Of course, Bama played Middle Tennessee State earlier this year. Um, they're up 
uh, pretty heavily, 23 to seven going into half, and Jacksonville State ended up scoring 38 second half points. So JSU came back and won 45 to 30. So thought that was a game that you know people could have missed, obviously with a small FBS ball, but just bad way for MTSU to lose. They're one in five now. So yeah, my loser was uh, all the. <laughs> We're back teams are not back. Uh, we had Miami and Notre Dame and Texas all losing this last week. So just tough for the uh, the Blue Bloods that are back. Uh, I think we've still got a little waiting on them. Well, one Blue Blood um, that is not going anywhere anytime soon is, of course, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Huge, yes, sir. huge victory on the road in College Station. 24 to uh, 20. I mean, probably our best game of the year that we've played so far. Boys, on here, y'all's thoughts. Um, what? Wrong, wrong I love score. It. I love the wrong score. Oh, yeah, I did say the wrong score. Fuck. Oh, all right, let's restart again. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, we're not restarting. Go. <laughs> this is all staying in. No, dude, no, 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 no. <laughs> I meant to say 26-20. I literally had it written down right here, too. Give us your thoughts on the game. I'll start. I'll start. You can, you can sit down for a minute, Jimmy, and gather your thoughts after that. You know, I can talk about this game for a while, and I think I will. To begin with, I really liked what Josh Pate said about this game. I think it speaks volume, not just for Alabama, but for how the sport of college football works in certain uh, certain circumstances and scenarios. As A&M could go 8-4 and four or 7-5, and five, and no one would look at this at the end of the year as a super quality win for Alabama. But this was truly a 60-minute dogfight, and A&M played as hard as they could knowing this game could play a huge factor in who gets to Atlanta in December for the SEC Championship. And for Alabama to go into that hostile environment at this point in the season and to come away with the victory was a big win and wasn't easy at all. A consistent factor that a lot of casual fans just ignore is that every team Alabama plays year after year always gives them their best effort and as it would make several teams as programs and several save several coaches' jobs. Josh Pate, quote-unquote, said, you should have got them while you could because they're not losing another game the rest of the season. And he is damn right when he said that. (laughs) I love the enthusiasm on the Tide right now, Kuso. We haven't always seen it this year. Give us some more thoughts on what you like right now from the team. Well, I'll give you – I definitely did take away some – some positive thoughts uh, from that one, but there's definitely still a lot of negative. I'll say this. Milrow was insane. Like, I don't know where that came from because it has not been here mm-hmm. um, this entire season. Like, he was so accurate on all intermediate and deep throws. Like, everything was perfect. Uh, there were a few just, like, really, like, short dump-off throws that, like, he completely missed. I've never seen a quarterback who does that like he does. But, anyways, not to take anything away. I think it's just crazy random. Uh, but, yeah, he was great. I thought offensive line in terms of pass blocking was better than I was expecting. I think they held up for, like, really long stretches. Like, gave Miller plenty of times uh, for for most of the game. Uh, in terms of the run game, it was, you know, pathetic just about 
it was probably worse than I was expecting. I thought we'd have more than like 15 rushing yards. But, uh, I mean, we got the job done. Not going to complain too much. Defense is absolutely, I mean, we're back, baby. We are so back. We are so back. <laughs> we are like 2016 back, and it feels so good. I mean, my I, when we were thinking about doing MVPs of the week, my MVP was Kevin Steele. I don't know if it's actually him or not, but like whatever is back in the water and the defensive uh, on the defensive side of the ball in Tuscaloosa, it is working. Like our secret sauce is back. The interior D line is ferocious. I mean, we should have had a block. We should have had a block field goal for a touchdown. Uh, we had our first pick six last week. Like, oh my god, that fourth quarter uh, with the safety where we like we drove them back. 25 yards, 15, 25 yards into a safety. Oh my god, it just felt like it was 2011 again. Like, I loved it. I'm so proud of this defense. I feel like we're on offense, we're on defense now. Super proud of it. I feel like the coordinator change really did make a big difference. But, like, finally, book noting my segment with a uh, little more negative thoughts on the offense, I'm still just like really disappointed in the fact that, like, it seems like our offensive scheme has not changed at all since 2021. And how I felt about this game was that, like, our play calling and, like, how how we operate our offense has not changed at all since 2021. Somehow, on Saturday, Jayla Milrow just turned into Bryce Young. Like, that's how it, it seemed like to me. It felt like we were playing the 2021 SEC Championship where Bryce Young shredded the Georgia Bulldogs defense. I felt like Jalen Milrow kind of did that with the A&M defense, which I was not expecting whatsoever. I don't know how that happened. I hope that somehow we can find a way to get more creative in terms of running the ball and our offensive line can gel a little bit more and we can establish a lot of scrimmage, uh, especially in the run game. Still haven't really seen that how we thought we were going to see it this year, but overall, not going to complain too much. I like where we're at. We've got you know a downhill road from here. So really proud of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one thing I want to jump into that that you addressed, um, and then Jimmy, you can give your thoughts too. Is, you know, I thought you talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got plenty more on the tide. Just one thing I I love that you're talking about is how the defense has just really came together. I mean, we talked about it on the show last week. You know, where you know we really have highlighted the DBs. Um, you know, really the edge rushers have come along in recent weeks. I think Dallas Turner's leading the NCAA in sacks right now. Um, and then I think last week we talked about how the linebackers have come along. And I think this week was the week for the interior D-line to be that final step to where we really think we have a dominant defense. Like Cuso was saying, you're excited when we're on the defensive sides of the ball. But, I mean, I think we had two and a half sacks in the interior D-line. Um, we had interior D-linemen were like two of the top three leaders in tackles. Of course, you have Caleb Down get in there at number two because he's just been a monster all year. But, yeah, I think that was just kind of the final piece to the defensive puzzle. Um, so, I mean, I love this defense so much, like you were saying. I mean, also, too, with our defense, I mean, going into half, I mean, we're giving up 17 points. You know, we're down seven. And coming out in the second half, we only give up three points, you know, on the road in College Station when they're just, you know, hungry for an upset. And uh, also, too, on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, it was so nice to see Jermaine Burton literally have, you know, kind of a legacy mm-hmm. game for him. It was just fun seeing him, you know, out in space, create plays. And um, obviously after the game, you know, there's some videos going online about him having fun with the Texas a fans and everything. But, you know, I'm awfully proud of the Tide. I was 
super nervous coming into this game, just like everyone was. But um, like y'all said, I mean, the defense is incredible. I love our defense so much. You know, I don't know what Kevin Steele has done to this defense in a short amount of time, but um, it is really fun to watch. Um, Harris, who was your MVP um, in the game for the Tide? Yeah, so that's why I want to talk a little more about the game in itself. I'll get to my MVP in a second. First of all, I just wanted to say that I'm also very proud of our defense, especially in that second half, playing without Malachi Moore there. Taron Arnold switched over to the star position. Trey Andes was brought in uh, to play the other quarterback. I thought they, they held up very well versus very talented receivers and Anaya Smith, Evan Stewart, and Moose Muhammad. I thought that Caleb Downs' interception was very timely and swinging the momentum of the game. And then the block field goal along with the safety that happened in the fourth quarter. But I think the biggest play in this one was made by my MVP for the week, which was Caleb Downs. On a play down the stretch where Anai Smith broke free, Caleb Downs was able to track him down and force him out of bounds, which was very impressive by him as Anai Smith made our defense look silly several times. And I thought being able to hold him knee out of the end zone with three, I think it was 316 left in the game, being able to hold them to a field goal, taking an additional minute and two seconds off the clock in one of their timeouts. I think if we don't, if Caleb Downs didn't stop them there, they are only down by two with 3.16 to go in all three timeouts, which remind Alabama fans a lot of scenarios and two years ago being at College Station and last year at Tennessee and at LSU. So ultimately, ultimately being able to do that, I think, carried us to the wins and Caleb Downs is my MVP in this one. Yeah, my MVP was also Caleb Downs. It was more so for the pick. Um, you know, we're down 17-10. Uh, you know, coming out of halftime, we had just thrown a pick. Two plays later, he gets an interception. Um, I thought that could have been play of the game. Um, but, yeah, I, I like the point that you brought up, Harris. I remember watching that live and just thinking, even if it only runs off seven more seconds from them having to score again, that was just an awesome play. For it to result in another minute runoff plus the field goal, I mean, I, I thought that was really one of the plays of the game. That was something we were talking about a lot after the game, though, just – what was everybody's play of the game? You know, my, mine was the interception by Caleb because, you know, I think we went on a 16-0 run from that point. But uh, but what everybody think? I mean, my, I agree mine, with you, Brad. My Mine was the play when Caleb Downs pushed my bounds. If he doesn't make that play, I'm not 100% sure. We're able to get out there with the win with the way the offense played the last couple of drives. You know, we're going to try to need to run the ball to milk clock off and their timeouts, but <laughs> not being able to really do that in that game. I mean, we only had like 23 rushing yards on 26 carries, I think it was. That's pretty poor there. Yeah. You're talking about like the when his like ankle like barely grazed the white, right? Yeah, the touchdown the play, all the touchdown the play, we got called bad. Yeah. That's mm. an underrated huge moment. I mean, that's for a, a freshman one. to make that yeah. play on a receiver that talented, it's truly underrated. That's not something you see every day. I feel like we're starting to see Caleb Downs, like, week in and week out, kind of being in everyone's MVP um, discussion for sure. I mean, he's just such a huge impact, and even as a freshman, I mean, imagine this dude when he's going to be a junior. He's going to be a freak, and, you know, draft analysts are going to be drooling when they see him play um, later on when he gets a little bit older and gets – a little bit more uh, games under his belt, but my MVP or my play of the game, I thought that Jace McClellan reception at the end of the game when he bobbled it 
tipped mm. it on back to himself. Um, at first, I really thought he had his knee on the ground. Then when they showed it on TV with the slow mode, I mean, we all started going crazy, and we kind of knew like the game was pretty much sealed from that point. So um, just knowing that A&M wasn't going to get the ball back, it was nice to see that happen. Yeah, Jimmy, I mean, I'm getting chills thinking about that replay. It was really an awesome moment to where, you know, everybody got to watch the exact same thing in slow motion where you assumed his knee was down and then everybody saw his knee go down in the replay and then everyone collectively saw the knee come off as he caught it. It was one of those where you didn't need a second angle. Everybody kind of got yeah. that collective excitement you know watching it with a bunch of buddies that was just a really fun moment i think that definitely would be up there yeah well i do want to ask harris about this harris went to the midnight yell at a&m how was the atmosphere at the game and like college station in general because i've never been and always wanted to take a trip out there to witness a game when the tide plays them how was it i think it's definitely atmosphere that was right up there with lsu and tennessee last year i remember i took my earpiece out for a little bit so i could really just hear the crowd and it was hard to even hear myself think. I was just sinking in all the noise, and I'm like, this is awesome. It's, it's time to play. And I'll say one more thing about this performance last week. Going off uh, Harris's big play where Caleb Downs knocked uh, Anaya Smith out of bounds on, like, the three or whatever, right then and there I was thinking, like, all right, this is exactly what happened last year versus Tennessee. This is exactly what happened versus LSU. Like, we just put ourselves in a horrible position due to some, like, missed tackles. We're going to get the ball back and go three and out. They're going to get the ball back. Like, we're going to have some busted coverage, and they're going to kick a field goal to win the game. But then what happened What happened this game that hasn't happened last year, didn't happen last year, really didn't happen in 2021, is our defense stepped up, like, had two big stops, and they have the holding penalty. Caleb Downs makes that great tackle, which was another underrated Caleb Downs, uh, Caleb Downs play on uh, Max Johnson's brother, the tight end at like the two yard line, like mm-hmm. absolutely perfect form tackle, awesome forces them in the field yeah. goal. We burn like a minute and a half off the clock. Like that didn't happen last year. We really haven't been getting those goal line stops. That was huge. Our defense has turned into like an absolute dynamo. So. Really looking forward to continuing to see our defense get better and better and us bottle up some explosive offenses going forward. Yeah, one more thing I just want to talk about um, on the offensive side of the ball. I've been talking a lot of defense, but this was, you know, like Cuso was saying, the last couple of years our, our offense just hasn't been as dynamic. I think this was the first game I might have seen in a long time where – it felt like receivers were actually running open. And I, I think a lot of that had to do with us taking deep shots. I know, Kuso, you talked about how the run game creativity could be a lot better. But I thought our, our passing game just looked so much better when we were throwing the ball deep. You know, we were letting our receivers make some plays. Um, like James was saying, you know, a legacy-changing game from Jermaine Burton. Um, I think he's thought about completely different among Todd fans. Isaiah Bonds had another great performance. So, I mean – I thought that, uh, you know, just seeing some receivers open and, uh, and you know, Jalen being able to hit them was just really refreshing. And, I don't know, it makes me think that, like, a game like LSU, we might still be able to go put up 40-something against a bad defense in, in games like that where if we do get in a shootout, you know, it, it makes me think that we'll be able to throw the ball deep and do things like that, which is something you have to do to win a national championship. You can't dink and dunk and throw screen passes all day. I think our offense is finally starting to – 
come together and emerge and just get more comfortable with one another, especially in the passing game, getting more comfortable with middle right to receivers. Like you said, I saw so many times where receivers were running open and we were actually connecting to them there. That was uh, great to see. I look forward to seeing more of that. Harris, what yep. do you think is going on with the like uh, inability to not have like several false starts every away game? Like, how is how are we this bad for this long? I mean, I I sit there and learn the same thing too. Obviously, we had fourteen penalties for ninety nine <laughs> yards and several false starts. I mean, we even brought in two. We played two left tackles in the game. You don't really see that every day. We started off with Caden Proctor, switched to Elijah Pritchett, ended up going back to Caden Proctor. That's not really something you want to see uh, from your offensive line. All right, do we have any more thoughts on the Todd before Jimmy intros us into our uh, exciting matchup with the Razorbacks this week? Well, time to flip the page. Huge win for the Todd past week, obviously. But Arkansas this week, I mean – Early kick, homecoming, 11 a.m. I mean, I think everyone expects Alabama to win. Um, spreads around 19 and a half. Uh, what did y'all's take on the game? What's kind of y'all's picks uh, leading into this game? I'm looking forward to us really just keep improving, continue to get better. I hope to see us be able to run the ball better this week than we did last week. And just praying we don't have any more touchdowns called back. We've had six on the year. <laughs> and overall with that, just reducing the penalties in general. I know we've struggled more with penalties on the road, and this is the home game, but we got to be more disciplined all around. Preparation builds execution, and being disciplined matters. What's your score prediction, My score this one, I think the tie roll pretty easily here. I got us 37 to 13. Yeah, I'd like to just see us keep the ball rolling. Uh, it'd be nice to see Milrow looking hot like he did last week versus a and I don't need him to go out for like 325 and a couple tutties like he did last week, but I'd like to see just some consistencies in the passing game, and hopefully that'll open up the run game a little bit more for us. Um, I'm skeptical, skeptical just given you know what it's looked like the first six weeks of the season, but hopefully maybe as – the season goes on, our offensive line gels a little bit more. We get a little more consistency there. And then finally, I'm hoping we'll get to that point that we were expecting before the season where we have the dominant offensive line. The run game really opens up. Maybe eventually, we've been hoping for Jam Miller and Justice Haynes' appearances all season. I'm hoping eventually that'll come. I don't know, but I hope the, uh, hope the offense looks improved and continues to improve. hope the defense continues to be dominant. I think we're going to have a... Uh, Solid performance. I'm going to go with 31-10, Bama. I like both of those scores. Um, you know, talking about the run game, hoping it opens up. Um, you know, Ole Miss uh, put up 196 on the ground versus Arkansas last week. Um, I'm hoping that's something that, that applies to our game because I think having a game where we really dominate the run and open up the pass, like you were saying, Cuso would be awesome. I'm going to be super optimistic here. I'm going to go 52-10. Um, I think we could – this is a game I think we could get out to, like, a 21-28-0 lead and just, like, not look back and just be having the time of our lives. So, I'm going I'm to be as optimistic as possible. I think we're riding high this, uh, this podcast, so I'm just going to keep those vibes going. Yeah, 
I like it. I mean, no better way to start off the Saturday than just the Todd just dismantling an SEC foe at home. Um, <laughs> KJ, he's good, but, I mean, I don't really know who else Arkansas has. I know they don't have any SEC wins, and they lost BYU earlier this year. I like Alabama to win. Um, I like it 42 to 10. Hey, don't forget about Rocket Sanders. Jim. He's a solid running back. Yeah. I think that covers it. Under our picks for the week? Oh, yeah. So I think that covers it from the tie talk. Now we'll move to my favorite segment of the show college football week seven picks. All of these lines come from FanDuel Sportsbook. Remember, if you or someone you know has a problem gambling, call 1 800 Gambler. We'll start off here with the with the afternoon slate. I think I'll be able to watch all the games this weekend, so I'm looking forward to that. We got Kansas State minus three and a half at Oklahoma State. Even though Oklahoma State beat Kansas State last week at home, I like Kansas here. I think their program is trending in the right direction. We're playing sleepful, and I think Oklahoma State's trending in the opposite direction, so I'll take them. Yeah, Harris, the way you were talking there, I thought we had a, our first sponsor all of a sudden. But uh, <laughs> I do appreciate works. the I do appreciate the warning for the people. Um, I'm just gonna take Kansas in this game. I've liked Kansas all year. They've let me down in the Texas game, but uh, I'll hope that they they do me right this time. Yeah, this one's tough because Oklahoma State's at home, but I, I kind of agree with Brad here. I just really like Kansas' offense. I really like Jalen Daniels. Um, don't have much conviction here, but going to go Jayhawks minus the points. Yeah, I'm going to agree with all y'all. I like Kansas. It's fun watching Jalen Daniels play, and I always kind of I like rooting for teams who haven't really been traditionally good in football, and they finally get good. It's fun to see them play well and stuff, so I'm going to go with Kansas in this one. Alright, next up we got our game of the week here. Oregon plus two and a half at Washington. I think all eyes would be on this game so I'm excited for this one. It'll tell us a lot more about the Pac-12, which is a great start of the year. I think I got to with the home team here, laying less than a field goal in Washington, and the better quarterback in Michael Pimmons. Yeah, so we got another great game on uh, on the ABC this week um, at two thirty. But we've been talking about this game since uh, since the podcast's inception. Um, cannot wait to watch both these teams. Really haven't watched a full game from either. I I like I like Washington here. I think Oregon, from what I would have thought, would be closer to like a five and a half, maybe six and a half. I think two and a half doesn't make any sense. Wait, is Washington favored yeah. in this game? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, then that makes even less sense to me. So that's when you know you fade yourself. Go Washington uh, minus the points. Sorry. Our graphics guy messed me up a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I like the Huskies in this one really just because I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, I'm going to go against the grain here. I I really like Oregon's program. I really like Dan Lanning. I think Oregon is a Pac-12 team that's built like an SEC program. They've got SEC-type Jimmys and Joes, and they've got a coach that hails from the southeast at a defensive-minded SEC institution. Actually, two of those, two of the best in Bama and Georgia. Um, I like Washington, too. They're really well coached, but I don't think they quite have the same level of players that Oregon has. I think uh, Oregon's going to win here, or they're going to cover, and they're going to win outright as well. Make it Cuso's lock of the week. 
Ooh. Yeah, um, I'm going to agree with Cuso. I love Oregon. I think they're going to win the Pac-12. Um, kind of scares me on the road, but I think Landing's a really good coach. Um, give me Oregon to uh, cover the two-and-a-half-point spread. I think they'll get the victory. All right, moving on to our SEC game of the week, I call it. We got Texas A&M plus three-and-a-half at Tennessee. I personally don't know what A&M has left in the tank after last week's brawl with Alabama. I could really see this game going either way, though. I want to take Tennessee. I just don't think they're that good this year. Joe Milton's been disappointed. They lost Bruce McCoy two weeks ago. So I'm going to ride with the Aggies here to bounce back as Tennessee have a potential look-ahead game to Alabama next week. I kind of like that take a lot. I think, uh, I think Tennessee actually gives us – a game. I was thinking about how Joe. You know, it would just make sense for Joe Milton to just go off against us. But uh, I well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go all the way and make everything about Bama. But I do like Tennessee dropping one and kind of a look ahead, like Harris was saying. I'll get A and M plus the points. Yeah, I'm gonna agree here. I think Texas A and M is really underrated, and not necessarily that this line is indicative of that. But I think that's unbelievable. A and M's not ranked. I know they've got two losses, but that defense—I mean, their their defensive line is a top ten defense line of the past like ten years. I mean, they have three first round picks on their front seven. I haven't seen, I haven't seen our running game get like completely stood up like that. Like absolutely, like eliminated since Saban's been there. Like, that's a really good front seven. There's obviously a ton of weakness uh, in the secondary, but Tennessee leads the SEC in rushing, so it's going to be strength on strength, and I think A&M's front is going to completely shut them down. Don't really trust Milton to be able to throw the ball. Going to go with A&M here, and I think they're going to win outright. Ooh. I might fade all y'all. I might take Tennessee. Um, I, there's really no, no like, bias or any or like not like bias but like no really like I don't really know much about the game I think it's going to be a coin flip but I just like Tennessee at home and um yeah I'm just going to fade y'all and see what happens could be could be slandered for it who knows but we'll see you next week that's right we'll stay in the SEC here for a couple more matchups we got Auburn plus 11 and a half at LSU I like LSU here I don't really know why because I hate betting on bad defenses I took them last week and it worked, so I'll take them again here. I think Auburn's just pretty bad overall, and this, this one's in Death Valley. I see them winning by a couple scores here. Yeah, I think <clears throat> under the lights, um, you know, 6 p.m. Central kick in Death Valley. Um, it, you know, I, in my opinion, or in fact, LSU always has Auburn's number, it seems to be, even when Auburn has a good team. Um, I know it's a lot of points, but I'm going to take uh, the LSU Tigers in this one. Um, kind of going away pretty early. Yeah, I agree here. I, I just don't think without a home field advantage to slow LSU's offense down, I just really can't see Auburn hanging around here. I mean, they can run the ball really well, and their defense is solid, but it, they're not going to be able to hang in there with the Jalen Daniels and crew. I think LSU is going to put up at least 35-plus on, uh, on Auburn's defense, and I can't see Auburn replicating that. Yeah, I'm going to agree with all y'all. Um, I, just, I just don't think Auburn – I just don't think Q Freeze, year one, tough game on the road. 
Um, I just don't think they're ready for that yet. I think LSU gets a big victory. And yeah, I just don't know um, how well uh, Auburn's defense is going to do against LSU's offense. And playing on the road for Robbie Ashford or Peyton Thorne, whoever the hell it is, I don't know. But I just don't think they're that great. So I like LSU. Our last SEC matchup is Missouri plus two and a half at Kentucky. Both teams are coming off their first loss of the season here. Jimmy, I'm still not buying that Kentucky hype. I'll take Missouri plus the points on the road. I think it's a pretty even matchup. I just think I like Missouri's offense better. Yeah, I like uh, I like Missouri too. I think that uh, they feel that they should have beat LSU. I think that they're going to try and make their record prove how good they are this week. So, um, you know, I think Kentucky's battered down. You know, you could get kind of that uh, – you know, just beat Bama or just lost to Bama type fatigue. I think Georgia could do that to a team like Kentucky. So uh, I'm going to take Missouri plus the points in this one. Yeah, I'm going to go with Mizzou too. It might be recency bias just because Kentucky just got absolutely throttled by Georgia. But I also just really like Missouri. Um, I don't don't think that Kentucky has the offensive firepower to hang around with the Missouri that I'm pretty confident is going to shred Kentucky just like Georgia did last week. So I'm going to go with Kentucky plus the points and I mean Missouri plus the points and once again I think I'm going to take Mizzou outright even on the road. Yeah Harris you are right. I've been high on Kentucky ever since the offseason but I think I'm coming to realization now. I'm going to ride with y'all. I like Mizzou. Um, yeah I don't know why I got so hyped on them after the Florida game. I guess it was just their rushing performance, but man, if they can't run the ball, then their offensive passing game really struggles, and Mark Stoops, he's getting a lot of hate in the media right now with his NIL comments, so yeah, I like I like Mizzou. Moving further along the East Coast, we got Miami plus three and a half at North Carolina. You couldn't pay me to say Miami here, even as a joke. That's my loser of the year, and this UNC team is good and led by Drake May. Shock this line is only three and a half after the disaster we watched in Miami last week. I got Tar Heels by 90. You know, just because I think I've had the same pick as Harris so far on every yeah. single one, <laughs> just straight off that, I'm going to take uh, Miami plus the points. Um, I need to, need to gain in the standings a little bit on them. I think I'm two points behind. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to take Miami and uh, hope that one works out well for me. <laughs> I think Miami might be down by four with like a minute left in the ball and they'll probably try to kneel it out. So. <laughs> <laughs> just a bridge. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with UNC here. I don't really have a gut feeling on this one. Seeing Miami shred A&M in week two. Kind of has me feeling uneasy about this one, but I just love Drake May. He's a baller. I hope they, I hope Miami gets shredded. Yeah, I, I like even seeing this one, Drake May. Like like you said, Kuso, he's a stud. And, you know, UNC, they've been a pretty good team all year. Um, I've been riding, riding with them, you know, about every week, and it's done pretty well. So I'm going to keep riding with them until it fails. So UNC. All right, staying in the Carolina State, we got NC State at Duke. NC State's plus three and a half here, and I really wish Riley Leonard wasn't questionable. I I don't think he'll play, but it says the stats is unclear. But I would love to take Duke here, as NC State has just looked atrocious to me at the start of the year, despite their four and two start. 
I've kind of bought into this Duke Cinderella story so far. Something tells me it's going to be a really weird game, though, so I guess I'll bite on NC State in the points. Dang, I kind of wanted to do the same thing. I thought you were leading, leading this down to Duke uh, minus three and a half. I, I, pulled, a, I pulled a lead course um, not so fast. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think you're going the correct speed. I'm going to go NC State plus, uh, plus three and a half in this one, too. Um, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> I actually like Duke here. I, I I mean, I'm really just basing this off the Clemson and Notre Dame games, but I really like Duke's athleticism on defense, and I think that's going to uh, – that and the home field advantage, which uh, was actually pretty significant in that Clemson game. Uh, Duke's like, – I don't even know what the hell Duke's football field is called. I was about to say Cameron Outdoor. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> – Hey. Yeah, I don't know, but those boys were rocking. And I'm going with the Blue Devils in this one, Riley Leonard or no Riley Leonard. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you, Kusa. I really like Duke's defense. Um, I watched NC State play against Virginia this year, who Virginia is one of the worst uh, Power 5 teams, and they probably should have lost that game. Um, even though without Riley Leonard, I like them at home. Uh, give me Duke. All right, we got two more games left. Those top 25 matchups and both include Pac-12 teams. First, we got USC plus two and a half at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is playing their fourth consecutive ranked opponent in a road here. And they don't seem to get any easier since ranked USC goes to South Bend Saturday night. This is a game, though, where I'm more than happy to take the better defense at home. USC's defense is so bad, this game would be a blowout if Caleb Williams weren't at quarterback. You know, maybe I'll take his ACL in the second quarter of this one. Who knows? I'm taking Notre Dame either way. Well, either way, you know, first off, Harris, I think it's despicable that you would wish an injury <laughs> just for your – just for your – Yeah, I am going to have to agree with Harris, though. Um, I think Notre Dame wins this one. I think they're fa- – <laughs> As – as we have a future guest picker, Boyd, uh, with the sniffles in the background. But, um, yeah, I'm going to take Notre Dame minus the points. I think their fans are going to be super excited for this one. Um, you know, kind of getting let down the past couple weeks, I think, at home. Um, I just don't see them getting beat in this game. But I think it's going to be an awesome one to watch for sure. All right, I'm going to I'm going against the grain here again. Going with another road underdog. Uh, the way I'm looking at this one, all right, if USC's at Notre Dame. They're getting two and a half points. I feel like if USC and Notre Dame were on a neutral field, I would think I would take USC all day. Take Caleb Williams. I know they've got the defensive problems, but I, on their fourth like really difficult game in a row, I just don't think. I don't think Notre Dame's – I'm taking USC outright again. Uh, Notre Dame's offense has just been weak, like week in and week out, just not living up to the standard of what I thought it was going to be. I think USC really hasn't had anything big to get up for so far this season. I think Caleb Williams is going to come in with two healthy ACLs throughout the whole game and absolutely shred Notre Dame's defense. <laughs> I like that take too, Coos. Um yeah, I just think Notre Dame's just really worn down. Um, I think USC kind of gets in a bounce-back game after a scare with Arizona last Saturday night. Um, I like them to get the huge win on the road. Uh, I like USC plus two and a half. 
seems like this week's battle is going to be between me and Bragg versus Jimmy and Cusos. There have been a lot of similarities there. Our Ooh, final game going up, on. Our final game <laughs> up is UCLA plus three and a half at Oregon State. I think Oregon State is the better and phys- more physical team here, so I'll take them. I don't quite trust UCLA's freshman quarterback Dante Moore to go win this game on the road in a battle between two Pac-12 teams. Are we doing plus three and a half or plus four? Three and a half. Can we do four? Sure. Bet the push. Uh, yeah, I was gonna bet the push. There's been no, there's been no even odds. Everything's been point five this whole week. Talk to fans. I'm, I'm gonna talk make... to our sponsor about this. Well. What's the consensus? Should we vote yeah, on it? Yeah, take the, take the four and you get the we'll, push. We'll, we'll do the four. Yeah, yeah. Caesars has it at four. That's what I got these from on it's, CBS it's app. All right, well, until, until, until FanDuel pays us, we're going to put this one at four. Um, I'm going to take the push. I think it's going to give me a huge advantage in the pick going forward. I'm going to go for my five points. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's really all my analysis for that one. I just really wanted to bet a push one time, especially after the Ohio State game pushed last week and nobody was on it. I feel like we got to take advantage of these situations. <laughs> that's fine. I'm the same pick as me again. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and say that's not going to happen because Oregon State is going to win by 13 points at home. Um, you can book it. That's going to happen. That's all I've got to say about it. Book it with Kuz. Yeah, um, yeah, Coos, I'm going to have to agree with you, too. Um, I think it's the lock of the week. I like Oregon State at home against UCLA. All right, well, that wraps up week seven college football picks. The current standings as follows. First place is yours truly with 13. Second place, we got Bragg with 11. Third place is Jimmy after falling off the top from last week with 10. And fourth remains Cuso with 8. I'm a second half kind of guy. I'm just warming up. Yeah, we'll see. I think that I think that 52-10 this week's really gonna gonna get me in the lead. I don't know if we've had anybody get some points from the Todd games, but uh, I got a feeling that that might happen this time. You know, I I, I wish it would. I really wish it does. <laughs> I hope someone hits a push. That would actually just. Be awesome to see. That would like that would shake up the standing so much. Like to see that. Jimmy, you want to wrap us up? Yeah. So that is it for episode three of the Diehards. Um, glad that y'all tuned in to listen. Um, take advantage of every Saturday because we only get so many. Um, in the fall. Um, big week this week, of course. Um, a lot of implications in the Pac-12. Let's see what Alabama can do with their homecoming. And then, of course, A&M, can they bounce back after losing um, to Alabama? Can they bounce back on the road against Tennessee? Um, it's going to be a good one. Um, guys, thoughts? Uh, how about a little, like, MVP prediction before we go? Um, who do you all think is going to be the MVP? And then when we record the next episode, we'll see if that holds true or not. Um, Harris, I'll start with you. Who do you think is going to be the MVP for us? Oh, that's like put me on the spot because I was getting my thinking cap on. I'll, I'll ride with the, I'll ride with Dallas Turner this week. I know that's a very obvious answer, but I think he continues to play well and he gets a couple sacks in this one. Um, 
I'll go ahead. I think Kool-Aid McKinstry gets a uh, up hunt return for a touchdown this game. I think it's going to be one of those where just everything's going right. Um, even if he plays bad the rest of the game, if that happens, he's going to be my MVP for sure. So that's my prediction. All right, I'm going to say we're going to finally commit to run the rock. We're going to give it to Jace McClellan for 20-plus times, and he's going to break the 150-yard mark for, I think, the first time in his career. God, I really hope I'm right about this one. Dang, Mike. <laughs> I was going to guess Jace McClellan, too, but, man, you put me on the spot. I don't really know. Honestly, I'm going to say Jalen. I think he just keeps up uh, um, how well he plays, and I think he's going to rush for uh, – I'd say he's going to rush for two touchdowns and throw for a tutty. Um, I'll, I'll like Jalen beat MVP. All right, well, that does us here for uh, <clears throat> episode three of the Die Hards. Look forward to talking to you all next week, recapping some big games and uh, updating the standings. But uh, for now, roll damn Todd. Roll Todd. Roll Todd. Yes, sir, roll Todd. So we stay on that, don't we? Yeah, so I'm going to stop the recording. Let's see. wonder if this is going to stop for everybody. I'm so rolling. No.